As we uh, mentioned earlier, today is the International Day of Prayer for Persecuted Christians. This is a special time that is set aside for learning and for global prayer on behalf of persecuted Christians who stand as a very bold witness to Christ in some of the world's most difficult and dangerous mission fields. For several years, we partnered with Voice of the Martyrs to join a prayer effort on this behalf. And um, specifically during the sermon time today, we want to focus on the need for light. Light is our theme. And uh, we're also going to give you, towards the end, uh, a list of things that you can very specifically pray for, for people who are in this kind of a situation. So would you bow your heads and pray with me as we begin? Heavenly Father, we recognize we are walking into the enemy's territory and we rebuke him in Jesus' name. And Lord, we come to stand strong before the enemy and in the name of Christ. And we pray, God, that you will lead us as we go through this morning. Teach us from your word. Allow us to hear exactly what you would say to us about this situation. And we pray that you will continue to provide your strength for those around the world who are in this situation, who are struggling, but also being very faithful in sharing their witness. Lord God, we ask your blessing and leading in Jesus' name. Amen. So as Kathy started to talk about darkness a little bit this morning, uh, I'd like you to think about, about a dark room. I mean, what is there about a dark room that is frightening? I mean, really, there is nothing in the dark room that wasn't there before the lights were turned out. But being in a dark place without light stirs up a lot of fear in us, especially our human heart. It seems to be a universal theme. The only remedy for that fear is light. The same is true of spiritual darkness. Whatever spiritual darkness that you are facing, only Jesus, only Jesus is the source of light who dispels the darkness. You know, Jesus sent his disciples on a pathway thousands of years ago to proclaim his light in order to advance the kingdom of Christ in a very dark world. Buddhism is a practice that began about 2,500 years ago. Teachings of Buddhism have become prominently global in the last 50 years. And, you know, if you listen to celebrities talk about it, it sounds like this wonderful, peaceful religion that's seeking the light. But in reality, it is simply spiritual darkness. And in places like Nepal, it can be a very dangerous darkness. Buddhism openly reveals itself as a black darkness, as Buddhists work to appease spirits whom they know to be evil spirits. That's the motivation. We want to share with you a, a five-minute video this morning of a man named, a young man named Sejun. He's from Nepal, and then we're going to come back and we're going to talk about Jesus and the light and how the light is penetrating there. I never chose to become a Buddhist monk. 
My parents chose it for me. They sent me far away to a monastery. And my father left me there. For the next nine years, I was trained to be a monk. Eight hours a day, seven days a week. All I did was memorize and recite. Memorize and recite. The words of the Buddhist text spoke of peace and tranquility. But my teachers lived something very different. I was 13 when I finally ran away from the monastery. You left the monastery, why? Shame! My father said I had shamed the family because I didn't finish my training. He enrolled me in first grade. He would begin my education all over again. Okay, so today we have a new student joining us. So everyone say hello to Sezun. One of my teachers talked to me with respect, showed me a kindness I never experienced in monastery. You can read this for me. Uh, the first John. Okay, great. God showed how much he loved us by sending his He's one, one, the end, one, only. What is this? Huh? You're not supposed to read these types of books in the house! Where are you going? I 
I have met a new family. And David and his wife have given me a place to stay. I'm reading more from the book David gave me. I have read about the light. It is the light I want. kind of sets Buddhism in a different light than you might have heard or seen on television. People like Keanu Reeves, Sharon Stone, Richard Gere, and a long, long list of celebrities, um, they only share part of the story. In Nepal, Buddhists are deeply involved in the persecution of Christians in their communities. Young adults who come to faith in Christ are driven from their homes, and, and they do this explicitly to appease and court favor with evil spirits who they know to be demons, fallen angels who are very much like their master. They work only to steal and kill and destroy. Now, I, I want to look at three things I think that will help us understand the situation there and uh, help us understand our general spiritual situation and to be able to pray for these young brothers and sisters in Christ. I want to talk about three things. I want to talk about the source of light, the force of light, and the course of light. First of all, let's talk about the source. In John 8, 12, right after the story of the woman caught in adultery, Jesus teaches the people by saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Well, Jesus starts with the words, I am. You know, and, and there in the book of John, in the gospel of John, there are seven of these I am statements. And this is the second one. And in each of these statements, Jesus is revealing something about his identity as God's son. You know, he comes as the incarnate word, God become flesh. And, and in this one, he says, I am the light of the world. Now, you might remember early in our series on core values, we talked about how you as disciples are the called ones. In fact, it's very specifically the called out ones. You are called out of the world. The Apostle Peter in 1 Peter 2.9 says that Jesus called you out of the darkness into a marvelous light. And you're being sent to declare his praises. Now, it, we have Jesus if we have Jesus, we have light, because Jesus is the source of all spiritual light. And if we have the light of Christ, we're also meant to pass it on, to do something with it. Now, I love the I am language, and it's, it's all, through the, all through the Bible, but um, it's very, very familiar to Jewish audiences, because God would use this, this little phrase, I am, to alert them that something special was coming, that 
after the I am statement, there is going to be a revelation about God's nature and about God's character. For example, and you know a lot of these, some of them by heart, you know, um, God told Abraham, or Abram, fear not, I am your shield. He told Moses in the desert, I am who I am. In Isaiah, God says, I am the Lord who made all things, who alone stretched out the heavens, who spread out the earth by myself. And we don't think of Jesus in that way as creator, but there's the statement right there, clear in Isaiah. In John 8, 12, he says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. You know, here in this passage, um, this word light or, or phos is used to describe a number of things. It's used to describe actual light. You know, if you take a flashlight like Kathy was talking about, and you turn it on and shine it in the darkness, you use that light to see your way so you know where to go, so you don't fall over things. That's a, a natural light. But it's also used in the scripture as a spiritual light. Like when Jesus says that God's light reveals something, or God's light brings discernment about something, about a particular subject. Well, here Jesus is the light, the light by which life is gained. Now, he, he didn't declare himself greater among equals. You know, it's not Jesus and a bunch of other guys. Uh, he is exclusively, he says, the only light that brings true life. You know, it's not like you get a little bit from me, or you get a little bit from the Buddhists, and you get a little bit from the Muslims, and then when you put it all together, you kind of add it up to eternal life. That's not how it works. Jesus says that he is the light. He's the light that gives life. Spiritual life, eternal life comes only from Jesus. It's an exclusive claim. You know, in the video, you met Sejun of Nepal, who lived part of his life in a Buddhist culture, in a Buddhist monastery. Uh, global missiologists tell us that over 500 million people globally, that's 6.3% of the population of the earth, are trapped in this spiritual darkness of Buddhism. Now, they're not simply following an alternate spiritual light that you know, might result in salvation. They're utterly lost, according to the word of God. And of that 500 million people, more than 385 million live in areas that are considered unreached by the gospel of Christ. That means that less than 2% of the population in that area are considered to be Christian. Even beyond that, an additional 18 million people, they live in the areas that we call the mission frontier, that's areas with virtually no followers of Christ at all. So there is zero witness in some of these places. These are places that, that despe desperately need cross-cultural workers to go and to be a part of that. It's been over 2,000 years since Jesus said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. But there are places on this planet where this source of life is just not there. It's just not there. 
not known among the Buddhists in many of these places, especially places like Nepal. Their men and women, boys and girls, have little to no opportunity to live in the light of Christ. And so that's why we need something more. We need Jesus' light. And we need the force of light. In the Gospel of John, chapter 1, John says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Let me jump to verse 9. Verse 9 says, The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. Well, this whole section, this, most of this chapter tells us that Jesus was creator. He made everything that exists. That's how powerful he is. Christ is powerful, and he was present and actively involved in every part of God's creative work. Now, it's pretty wild when you think about it. You know, here we have the light of the world creating light. You know, the sun, the moon, the stars, all of the light talked about in those early Genesis chapters. And Christ fully participated in creation of even the concept of light, which is kind of cool. First John or, or rather, John 1.5 says, the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Uh, this is an interesting word. The word overcome means to, to take it into yourself or to appropriate something. Darkness cannot appropriate the light for its own evil use. There's no yin and yang here. Their darkness and light are not equal concepts, and the darkness cannot overcome the light. It's not even close to the power of Jesus. There's no balance of power between light and dark. Light is by far, without counting, the most powerful thing, and it's the light of Christ. Jesus' power is amazing. It's beyond description, even. As disciples of Jesus, you know, we see, we see evil all around us, don't, us, don't we? We can see the darkness in the world around us. And we can experience evil too, can't we? That's part of the reality of living in a fallen world. But that darkness has no hold on biblical disciples. Trusting in the power of the light of Jesus means that you and I, as biblical disciples of Christ, are able to walk through the darkness of this world and not get corrupted or destroyed by it. We're able to walk in it. John 1.12 tells us, all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. 
Jesus is the source of light. But Jesus is also the force of light. He has the power to do something about the darkness. He has the power to transform you. In fact, in Jesus, your identity changes completely. You're no longer children of darkness. Jesus says you're now children of light. You're now children of God. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, We have become entirely new creations. Peter says, God makes you into a chosen people, a royal priesthood, holy, God's special possession. God changes us. Jesus is the source of light, and he's the force of light in its transforming power. And that power is in Jesus. You know, in the film, through faith in Christ and, and this bold and faithful witness of his teacher that we saw, Sejun became a child of God. The power of truth in the gospel overcame the power of darkness in Sejun's Buddhist experience. The spiritual darkness of Buddhism or any other ism that you could name cannot overcome the light of Christ in the lives of those who hear and respond to the gospel. Now, we're focused on Buddhism today in Nepal because that's Sejong's experience and because that's a place that the voice of the martyrs are asking us to specifically pray for. But you know, there is darkness in every community. There's darkness right here in our own community. And uh, as you pray, and I hope you will pray for Nepal this week in your devotional time, as you pray, maybe you'll find that God, through the Holy Spirit, begins to speak to you about your witness in Christ. And maybe he'll begin to lead you in a particular way to be obedient to the Great Commission. You know, you can be obedient to the Great Commission right here where you live. That can start right here as you pray for the people around you. Jesus is the source of light. And through that force of light, he has transformed you, given you the light of the gospel to pass on. That's the Great Commission. That leads you to the course of light. Ephesians 5, 8 says, For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. Now look at how that breaks down, you know? It talks about what you were or who you were. It talks about who you are right now. And it talks about where you should go, what the path is that you should be following. Philippians 2, 14 and 15 says, Do all things without grumbling and complaining, that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish, in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world. Do we live in a crooked and twisted generation? Don't have to look too far for that, do we? Now you are the light in the world. He says, walk as children of light. You know, there's a, a very good reason why first century Christians had such an impact on the people around them. 
such a massive impact even on Rome, one of the darkest places on earth. They were different from the world. They lived the light of Christ that they found, and the light was obvious. It showed in the darkness. And, you know, people realized that, that these people, these Christians, they had something that they didn't. And whatever it was, they wanted it. Now, that's what happened to me. That's how I came to Christ. I saw the light of Christ in a young Christian family, and I said to myself, I don't know what it is that they've got, but I got to have it. <laughs> and that was, that was the opening of my heart to Christ. That was the beginning. And they ministered the gospel to me, and I came to know Jesus as my Lord and Savior. But it was when I saw this light shining so brightly, it was something that I desperately wanted. And I contend that, that this is how most people legitimately come to Jesus. You know, we can't scare people into the kingdom of God. We can sure try, but we found that through research that most of those kinds of conversion experiences don't last. The ones that last, the ones that, that take, the ones that go the furthest are the ones that recognize, you know, the mess that we've made in our own lives, the things that, that need to be changed, and, and that what we have looks nothing like what we're seeing in front of us when we really see the light. We're to live as light in the world. And that word light is the same Greek word that is used in John 8, 12, where Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Only there's a different force used here. And the force is that we are to persevere in the light and to keep the light going. You know, we're light generators. I don't know about you. When I was a kid, I had a, a bicycle <laughs> that, that uh, had a, a light, a headlight on the front, and it had a generator. You pushed a button, and, and it flipped down onto the tire. There was a little wheel, and it generated. It went as you went down the road, and it, it actually generated power for the headlight. Some of you have those. I see you nodding your head. And, and that's kind of what we're to be like for Jesus. As we go forward... We're to be generators of light. We're to produce that light for Jesus. You know, um, followers of Christ were first called Christians in Antioch. It says so in Acts 11 and 26. And, and we think that it, meant, it was meant as a very nasty term. It was meant as a derogatory. It, it literally meant little Christs. Christians are little Christs. Ephesians 5.8, this verse we have up here, it turns the mockery of what was going on upside down. And it turns it into encouragement to walk as little lights, as children of light. It's not just talking to the kids. It's talking to us as adults, too. We're to walk as little lights or little Christs, imitators of Christ. The course... The path laid out in front of us as disciples of Jesus or followers of Jesus is to walk in the light of Christ, generating light as we go, giving evidence to the light of life that you can only find in Jesus Christ. Philippians 2.15, you know, we keep coming back to this, 
this chapter, don't we? We've hit it two or three times over the last two or three weeks. It's come up, and, and it says that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. It's easy to read the news or see it on television or on the net and complain about it and to lament about it. We should lament. But you know, Paul says that we can do something about it. That our witness makes a difference. Our witness and our biggest influence is to shine as lights in the world. Now, when we're talking about witnessing, a lot of the times, I, you know, I, I don't know about you, but you know, the idea of the word evangelism makes me shiver. It gives me cold chills down my back because when I first came to Christ, that meant going door to door and knocking on doors and trying to talk to people, doing cold calls and that kind of stuff, and I'm not wired for that. <laughs> Probably a lot of you aren't either. But that's kind of what we think about when we talk about witnessing for Christ. We get so worried about what we might say. But the most important thing is how we live. That's what Paul's saying here. It's how we live, living as light that draws the world to Christ. One of the things about Sajin's story that, that really touched me was right there at the end, the simple fact that his mother took great risks in order to come to his baptism. She, she could have been socially ostracized and you know, been considered a non-person, totally shunned. She could have been beaten, even by her own household. The people in her own family could have taken her aside and beaten her because that was very, very common, and in fact, it still is. We've had members of our own church in Nepal beaten because they wanted to even talk about Jesus. But it seems that the transformation that she saw in Sajan's life was enough for her to want to know more about Jesus and begin to ask questions. She saw light in him instead of darkness. She saw the change, the difference, and recognized it was different. As Sajan and and our other little persecuted Christian brothers and sisters share the light of Christ, they risk a lot. And in some cases, they risk their lives as they do it. I want to ask you to do something this week. I want to ask you to pause at some point, pray specifically for Nepal, but pray for children in our global family of faith all over the world, children who are in the crosshairs, who risk a lot to shine the light of Christ. And some places where they live are some of the darkest places in the world, some of the most dangerous and difficult places to live. And I want to put up some things up here to pray for. First of all, pray that they will abide in Christ. Now, there have been some surveys done by Voice of the Martyrs and other groups where they ask people who are actively living under persecution, what would you like us to pray for you? And, and, you know, you might think, well, pray that the persecution will stop. You know, pray that we'll be protected. Pray that, that nobody will get hurt. 
That's not it. That's the number one prayer is that they will be faithful, that they'll abide. That's what they ask for. So pray that they will abide in Christ. The second thing here is pray that they will experience the power that, that comes from living a fully consecrated life to Christ. And that they sense his presence. And that they'll be able to continue to share this light of Christ very boldly with other people. Pray that they will endure for life. That's the big prayer. Not only that they'll endure for this little period, but they'll endure through their entire lives, that they'll live their lives for Christ. And the last prayer that they ask us to pray for is to pray for ourselves. Pray that we become known as little Christs, as real followers of Jesus, as, as little lights, as lights that shine the light of the gospel. You know, we hope you'll be inspired or that you've been inspired by Sejon and his story and that you'll continue to look for other stories, other understandings of persecuted Christians around the world who are ready to live and serve for Christ boldly and faithfully at any cost. And as we look at those stories and think of our own lives, think that we don't know the future. We don't know what's coming. There may, in fact, be a time when you and me are called to serve in exactly this same way, to be the light in a very dark place. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we desire to honor you with our lives and with our testimonies of light. Help us to take inspiration from Sejun and from others like him to be faithful, to be little Christs in our community. We ask that you would protect and guide Sejun and others like him in the really hard places of this world. Lead them. Speak through them. Shine your light through them. Reveal yourself to them. And Lord, remind them that you walk with them as they walk with you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So it seems like places like Nepal are very, very far away. The other end of the world. Let me share a little serendipity here. We have a Hispanic congregation at our Mount Rock Church, and some of those folks come here on Friday nights and worship and share the Bible and learn the Bible together. Well, some of these Hispanic folks from Mount Rock Church ran into, just seemingly by accident, a few people who were from Nepal. And as they began to talk, they were introduced to a pastor from Nepal. And that pastor was looking for a place to hold church. So the people of Mount Rock invited them to come and use the Mount Rock facility for worship. Now we have a weekly congregation of Nepalese people who are meeting. There are about 40 of them right now meeting every week at that church. And that means that they have worship services at the church in English, in Spanish, 
and in Nepali. <laughs> what a blessing from God. Who would have ever thought that Nepal would come to us like that? The other ends of the earth are not really quite that far away anymore, are they? Well, we're going to transition here. We're going to move into our time of the Lord's Supper, our communion time, and we share it knowing that Christians in Nepal and in other countries all over the world are gathering around the table the same way that we do, to recognize the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross for our sins and to recognize the symbols of bread and wine as the body and the blood of Jesus. In a moment, we're going to be saying a prayer to prepare our hearts to receive the Lord in this way. And I want to tell you that we observe an open communion. That means that you don't have to be a member here to join in. All we ask is that you be a believer in Jesus Christ. Now, as we pray, I encourage you to surrender your heart, surrender your will to God again, once again. You know, this is a good time to renew your relationship with Christ is when we do communion. Ask him to forgive your sins and receive his forgiveness and his healing because he, he waits for you to ask in order for you to receive it. Pray with me now. Father, we come before you and we ask you to hear our prayers. Forgive our sin. Clean our hearts. Renew our minds. In silent prayer, we symbolically lay our lives on the altar today. We ask that you would hear our prayers. Lord, thank you for your forgiveness. Cleanse us by your blood. Fill us with your spirit. May we glorify you in our lives, both today and always. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.